0: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Museums are by their very nature associated with the past. So it's surprising that they've been at the leading edge of Bluetooth beacon adoption. We're fortunate to have the San Diego Museum of Art on our doorstep. If we gave out awards for mobile application excellence, they'd be strong contenders for first prize. We spoke with Dieter Fenkart, the chief operating officer of the museum, and asked him about what drove their investment in a beacon-enabled app, how they approached it, and what the business benefits have been. I hope you enjoy this very rare chance to get the perspective of a customer who's deploying Beacon technology. Don't forget to subscribe to us on the Mr. Beacon website, YouTube, Facebook, or your favorite audio podcast platform. First of all, I should say thanks very much for doing this interview. It's, uh, I'm grateful for two reasons. One is this environment is just the best environment we've ever done an interview <laughs> in, so thanks for that. And the other thing is you're actually using the technology, and we, we, we've been privileged. We've interviewed Cisco and HP and Google and a bunch of CEOs and very creative startup companies. But um, it all rests on who's actually going to deploy the technology and who's the customer. And you're this amazing customer for Beacon technology and, and other technology. We're, we're going to talk about that. You have a mobile app that has been really well thought through. Incredibly well executed. And it really seems like museums uh, are one of these verticals, uh, these businesses that uh, has adopted and embraced this technology. So what I'd like to do this morning is talk to you a bit about, well, we should establish what the San Diego Museum of Art is, and how it fits into the San Diego community. But um, I really want to get into why have you invested in mobile and what have you done how did you do it and and what kind of results that you've seen and I think that will be really helpful for entrepreneurs for solution designers to kind of get in the head of of someone who's at the top of an organization and is having to make a a, a choice on where you're gonna spend your time and your money
0: right that's absolutely right
1: so let's set the scene and um, tell us uh, so we're actually part of Balboa Park aren't we and so very quickly like how many museums in Balboa Park?
0: There are I believe it last counts 17 museums in Balboa Park. There are 28 cultural institutions, and there are about 100 different organizations that are affiliated with Balboa Park in one shape or another. Uh, Balboa Park um, is a lot more than just the cultural institutions that sit here, uh, and there's, there's many others, the golf course on the east side of, of Balboa Park. There are all the nature trails that exist, the swimming pool, the tennis courts in the northeast um, part mm-hmm. of Balboa Park. So. Um, there's a lot to Balboa Park. And you've got the and zoo as well. That's zoo, part of it. Exactly, correct. So uh, Balboa Park is a unique location with just so much culture and arts concentrated in one one location that is easily accessible. People can walk around and experience natural history um, at 11 a.m. and then come and experience world-class art at 2 p.m. and in the middle have lunch at a, one of the great restaurants here in Balboa Park.
1: Well, and I, hats off to you. I have to say you have done some amazing work, both in terms of the shows that you put on, bringing mixing flowers and paintings and it, just just a sensory marvel but also what you've done with Panama 66 and we were coming in the back with this equipment and we were <laughs> walking past beer barrels. I have to say, very good beer in those barrels.
0: Uh, <laughs> those are empty out on the loading dock so you can't take any of those with you, right? But, uh, yeah. but it's,
1: it really is an experience, I think, coming here and it's, so I, with my family, we'll, we'll enjoy the art and then we'll enjoy some amazing food and we'll sit out in the sculpture garden. So, um, how, how many, Tell tell us a bit about the museum, just a thumbnail sketch.
0: So the San Diego Museum of Art was founded in 1925, and we opened our door in 1926. Um, So we've been around for 91, 92 years now. We welcome around 360,000 visitors per year to the museum, which has grown by about 70% in the last five years alone. So it's wonderful to see more people engaging with the art. Uh, We have about 18,000 works of art in our collection, and that ranges from old Spanish and Italian masters, northern Baroque painters, uh, to American artists, sculptors, Chinese paintings. We have one of the most uh, world, or have a world-renowned collection of miniature Indian paintings from South South Asia. So it's quite a mix, and our collections range from 5,000 B.C. all the way to the present day. So there's something for everyone. we try and bring out as much as we can of the collection onto display, so at any given point we have 700 to 800 works of art that people can engage, interact with at the museum. And um, we have a committed board of trustees. We have. Uh, about 65 docents who spend countless hours here educating the public, and they do it with a passion. They have to go through a two-year training program to be certified to be a docent at the museum. So truly committed people. Uh, we have various support councils that support the museum through their specific area of art, so Asian art or um, Indian art or um, contemporary art. So. It's truly a museum of, of the community and for the community. Um, we have some really spectacular events throughout the year. As you mentioned, Art Alive is one of those. It's in its 37th year. We turn the museum into a uh, how do we want to describe it, an exhibition of florals where more than 100 floral artists come in and create these arrangements based upon the works of art um, that they are displaying their their floral arrangement in front of. So you have an opportunity to come in, see the art in a very different light interpret it from a very different angle as well. And if you're a member of the museum, you actually get to vote on first, second, and third place. So that's always a fun activity for, for members to come in on the first day when Art Alive opens. So
1: why technology, though? I mean, it's, you think about museums, and I think most people think of uh, cobwebs and um, so forth. Yeah, right. um, but you're investing in
0: augmented reality and beacon technology, mobile apps. Right. Why? So we we made a concerted effort, three years ago um, the museum was talking more and more about uh, its strategic plan and we had a plan from 2008. uh, We wanted to update that plan, refresh it, make it feel more in tune with the times. And there's been in the museum industry a big dialogue as to what does the museum of the 21st century look like. There are many different opinions on that. My background is with the uh, uh, in the natural history world. I worked with the National Parks Conservation Association and then with the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Mm-hmm. And what I saw when I came to the art museum here was this difference in, in terms of how people were interacting with the museum itself. Not, not the objects inside, but with the museums. And in science centers and natural history museums, people are generally encouraged to ask questions. There is no silly question. Come in, be curious, ask why a, uh, particular dinosaur ate this type of uh, uh, vegetation, or what colors were dinosaurs? Do we even know if dinosaurs had colors? That sort of inquiry-based learning is not as prevalent in art museums, and I draw upon my own experience where if you haven't studied art history, it can be a bit intimidating to walk into a museum and ask those questions. So our thought process was how do we how do we create an experience that's opening welcoming welcoming that's inspiring to people and the board underwent a strategic planning exercise with the senior leadership team and we changed our mission from a traditional to collect to preserve to now to inspire educate and cultivate curiosity through great works of art and that then trickled down into everything all the way into our performance reviews our programming our exhibitions so if you came to the museum four years ago and you came now, it would be a completely different experience. Technology, why technology? Everyone nowadays carries a phone in their pocket, or most people do. It's a tool. It's not the, it shouldn't be the sort of end all piece that's gonna now revolutionize the, the museum world, but it's, t- it's a tool that we need to utilize. And starting with social media, how do we get people to actually come in Take a selfie in front of a painting and share that with friends. And you let them do that? We we let them do that. We don't have selfie stick. We don't allow selfie sticks, but we let people actually engage with the art. Um, right. We don't allow fo- uh, flash photography, and there's certain paintings that we can't allow people to take photos of just for rights and reproductions. Mm-hmm. But everything else that's in fair use and in the public domain, we want people to actually engage with and take photos and share that with friends. Because when they do that, it means that they're connecting to the art in their own special way. And they're using their phone to do that. Correct, exactly. So then, that natural leap to well, if people have phones in their pockets, um, how can we deliver content in a different way than we have previously? And when you walk around art museums, another thing that's a bit, uh, that we as art museums have to try and figure out our balance is how much information do we put on walls? And usually, what you might find is a little wall panel that has the artist's name, the name of the object, you know, when the artist lived. And that might be about it. So how can we deliver more content about the stories? And I say that because um, our upstairs galleries focus on paintings from the 1500s and 1600s all the way to the 1800s. That's a lot of years in human history. And think about all the wars, the famine, the boom times that those paintings have seen much longer than any other human being has been alive for their their own personal life. So those stories. they're rich with stories. And there's not enough wall space to actually describe those stories. So we ended up speaking to an innovative company, a startup company here in San Diego, and pitched this sort of concept of, well, would they be interested in creating an app for the museum?
1: So this was Guru, right? This is Guru, exactly.
0: And how did you find them? So kind of life has a way of working out um, in curious ways, and I was having a beer at our restaurant, Panama 66 one evening. And um, this gentleman behind me, we were talking, and turns out his name is Paul Burke, he's the CEO and founder of Guru, and they just finished the Balboa Park app, and I looked at him and said, Paul, can you help us create an app? And he said, let's sit down and talk. And from there, a really strong relationship
1: developed. So was that after that strategic process that you described, or was
0: it the thing that inspired it? It was concurrent to it. Yeah. It was sort of as the discussions were happening, we were also really seeking ways to embrace technology in different ways than our museum, um, but also other museums across the country who embraced technology.
1: So it sounds like you just found a partner who was willing to work with you. Uh, had they
0: done any museums before? No, we were their first Museum and that was one of those moments where we said well We want to experiment with something they want to experiment with something. Let's give it a shot and That that can some sometimes not go so well, but in this case it was a home run.
1: Yeah I'm trying to think what is the lesson for an entrepreneur? How do they engage with more people like you? I mean you've got an app so then probably not gonna It's not gonna work a second time and is it like you just uh, because uh, that
0: wasn't a cold call. That was just serendipity. That's right. That's uh, so. Maybe the the answer is to come and drink more beer at Panama Sixty Six. I think I so. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, and I think maybe if you just really start to inhabit the world of the customers that you want, then these things tend to happen.
0: Well, the great thing is Paul came to this. um, He was uh, touring Italy, a couple of the museums, art museums in Italy with his, I believe, niece and nephew. Mm -hmm. And as they were walking through the galleries, Paul noticed that um, these two youth were on their phones and with headsets in their ears. And he got very frustrated. He said, why are you surfing the web while we're standing here in front of world-class art? You should be looking at the art. And they looked at him and said, uncle, we're actually researching the art because there's not a lot of information on the walls. And that was a spark in Paul's mind to say, maybe there's there's a niche here. There's an untapped market. And he had done some work um, with uh, apps at sports arenas and so on. Uh, so, his first sort of foray into the cultural area was with ba- the Balboa Park Online Collaborative and Balboa Park. And as you say, the serendipitous meeting at, in, in Panama 66 was just he had come to the table prepared. He knew what the, the sort of market was and when the opportunity rose, he, he knew how to address the subject. And I think that preparation made all the difference because if he hadn't had that experience, if he didn't really know what he was talking about, I think we probably would have looked the other direction. So it was, I, I think, the advice to an entrepreneur, cold calls are really tough. they, they You know—you might get one out of a hundred of those cold mm-hmm. calls will succeed. So um, you definitely want to find an in through a connection somehow, but you also have to deliver something that is of value to the organization and you need to demonstrate that value.
1: Ideas, insight, empathy, some passion for it. Yeah. Let's just talk a bit about demographics and your audience. And is, it seems like that's got to be another driver for this adoption of, of mobile yeah. Can you talk to that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the the questions that we were sort of debating internally, um, our member base tends to be of an older nature, and that's the case for a lot of art museums. And our thought was, how do we reach out to the younger audiences? We had a, we have a program called Culture and Cocktails, which happens four times a year. It started in 2006. It, attracts the 21 to 45-year-old audiences. Really excellent program, but we were seeking a different way. We wanted to find a way how to engage the average gallery visitor um, and bring in younger audiences to the experience just to walk and roam the galleries. So this app, we thought, well, you know, this might be very appealing to the millennial crowd. And what's really interesting is Although that has happened, what we've also seen is audiences of all ages have connected to the app, and we conduct monthly visitor feedback um, exit surveys. And what we found is people who leave reviews. There was one one situation where um, the uh, a couple came into the museum uh, slightly older. She loved going to art museums. He dreaded it every time. She dragged him along to an art museum. He would always sit on a bench at the entrance and wait for her, and. He had this app at our museum and suddenly he was now, uh, the world opened to, opened up to him and he was able to look at curatorial videos that would guide him through the gallery, that would tell him um, why the curator chose to hang a, a gallery in a certain way. Was it thematically, chronologically, and what to pay attention to? And then with augmented reality, you were able to bring these paintings to life, and this elderly gentleman suddenly fell in love with the experience. And he wrote to us, he said, I'm looking forward to coming back to this museum and I will look for other museums that have similar technologies to enrich my experience. So it's not just the younger audiences that are suddenly now saying this is one way of connecting to the museum. It's a way for older audiences to connect to the museum in perhaps a slightly different way.
1: Well, I want to come back to that gentleman, sure. uh, but I'm going to interject a, a, a quick story of my own. Our paths crossed when you agreed to uh, participate in the panel that I was moderating at the Bluetooth SIG, uh, which was really cool. Um, and I remember you gave me a tour of the museum before then so we could kind of get to know each other. And I was just so enthusiastic. I mean, I like art, but actually haven't, hadn't been here on a regular basis you showed me around and I'm like talking to my wife, oh look about you know they have all these drawings and you can, you can pull them out and, and, and it was just I was kind of quite giddy <laughs> um, but you can't do that with everyone, can you? Right. And so it really seems to me this app is a way of, of, um, of engaging in, t- in storytelling and going beyond just the piece of art to establish the context and the story behind it and you do a great job so let's talk about the app but before we do that, I just want to, how do you get people to use the app? Because, I, you know, there's many, many people that have developed mobile apps that never get used. And you don't just build it and hope that they're going to come. T- tell us a bit about how you get people to use it.
0: Right, and I think that—that that is perhaps the biggest lesson learned. Um, you know, the, if you build it, they will come motto does not apply. doesn't apply to a lot of things in life I've learned, but especially not to this. So we conduct training with our frontline staff. So our visitor uh, relations team at the very front when you're purchasing a ticket or if you're a member coming in, we remind people that this app is free to download and it's part of your admission. So, um, you know, check it out. There's a lot more content in it. It's a bit, uh, it acts as a digital map. Uh, our gallery attendants that are in the galleries are all trained also on how to use the app and if people have questions, for example, if perhaps their Wi-Fi isn't turned on, our gallery attendants will be able to help those visitors um, navigate the, the settings on, on your phone or on your device that you're using. Um, we also conduct some uh, marketing efforts, not to you know, a, a large level, but uh, we, we try and do some other creative uh, ways of, of broadcasting the app um, at certain conferences. Guru is, as I mentioned, one of our partners. They're all around the country. We're continuously touring people on the app. We make sure to tell as many people as we are going around San Diego about the app. Um, Our director of marketing communications had a really brilliant strategy and um, added a couple of our paintings that um, have the augmented reality experience to the back of our business cards. So if you meet with somebody at a luncheon and you pull out your business card and you use your phone, you can actually make that painting come to life. That
1: is a brilliant idea. So
0: so just these really unique, creative ways of, of trying to engage audiences.
1: And just the basics. You have a picture of a phone next to every painting where you can get that background information and it's just a constant reminder and I think so I I think it's fantastic and it's an example that I hope other uh, institutions follow but it really seems to me like the reason why you're able to do that is because you as the chief operating officer believe in this and you've staked, staked some of your reputation on it.
0: Well, yes, and, and it takes a team. So, um, my partner in crime, our director of uh, marketing communications, Carrie Kovac, she and I really from the beginning were working on this project together. And talking to Roxana Velasquez, our executive director, who was very much interested in this, um, she, she kind of let us take the reins. And I think, you know, not reluctantly, you know, perhaps all of us were a little nervous dipping our toe into this, but in the end, everyone's embraced this all the way. From the top of the organization, starting with our trustees, down to the frontline staff. And our curators have really embraced the, the, the app as well. I know you and I have talked a little bit about some of the logistical challenges at the beginning. Um, it was interesting to see how the traditional content providers of the museum were perhaps definitely more reluctant to embrace this technology because there was a worry of disnifying perhaps the collection. And we were very sensitive to that. We want to make sure that we weren't creating a, just an entertainment venue, but there was, if you want to use it for lack of better terms, edutainment. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what another lesson learned here is, as soon as we were able to produce data and statistics on the usage, and what we find is that the average user who downloads the app uses it for an average of 66 minutes. That's a long time to it's actually, an it's an incredibly long time engaging with the art at the museum. And then more importantly, 57% of people who download the app come back to it the following week. That's another huge statistic that is really important for us. And then everything that follows from which works of art were most viewed, most liked, um, shared, there's, so, uh, there's a wealth of information in here that we've now been able to communicate to the curators. And it's not to say that they're going to change their direction on what they want to display or how they curate an exhibition, but it gives them a bit more insight into what's popular and perhaps what's not so popular. And that in and of itself is hugely important if we're trying to connect to audiences.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And I think we've kind of touched on this, but let's just make sure people understand what is it that they can do in the app. What, uh, what are the functions?
0: There's a variety of different things. There's two different modes. Let's start with that. When you're at the museum and when you're not at the museum. And so the app has a different look and feel to it. Um, you can still explore the same amount of content, but in different ways. So when you're at the museum, it's quite simple to navigate. Um, you can uh, check on what's nearby. And that works off of the beacon technology. So if, you're, if you happen to be in, in gallery, let's say, four, and you're looking, you're standing in front of a painting and you click on what's nearby, the app will be able to identify exactly which works of art are in close proximity to you based upon the Beacon, uh, beacon technology. And then that content, you can read through it, you can look at videos, if there are any videos about that work of art, you can read about the, an introduction to the work of art, the artist, what's relevant about the artist, if there are any objects in the collection that relate to that object, Um, You can look at images as well, so there, especially as I described before, the upstairs galleries, there's some really interesting stories, some paintings that have changed over the last 400 years for a variety of reasons, and you can see the before and after pictures of those paintings, um, how they were properly conserved, so there's a lot of content to engage with. There's also a a tour feature where if you're coming in alone or let's say you're here with a friend or a date, you can both pop your your earbuds into into your uh, uh, ears and then walk around and have the app guide you on a a tour through the museum. Um, Hmm. There are kids uh, scavenger hunts, so there are activities for young children as well as adults. So there's a wealth, again, a wealth of activities that you can engage with um, in the app. The augmented reality piece is another thing where we now have um, five five works of art that are on view that have this augmented reality feature where you can go up to a painting and you can hold up your phone and the painting will come to life. And what we're trying to communicate with that is what the artist might have seen while they were standing in front of this particular scene, Mm -hmm. painting this landscape or whatever it might be. So in Monet's case, we have a Monet that was purchased in 1982. The title of the painting is The Haystacks at Chely. And Monet loved to paint these haystacks in um, his his sort of residence, uh, residential area. And uh, he loved playing with different colors during different times of day. So in discussion the team felt, well what if we could create this augmented reality experience where this painting goes through a 24-hour time cycle? So you hold your phone up, the painting starts off, you hear crickets, then it gets dark, it's a night scene, you see little lights in the village off in the distance, and then the sun rises and you hear a rooster crowing in the background. So augmented reality
1: uh, sounds like you had to persuade some folks that this was a good idea to avoid the Disney. Disneyfication.
0: Right, right. Exactly. And that, was a, it, it's, that just happens in a room where we sit down and have an honest, heart-to-heart discussion as to what it is that we want to create. And um, you know, at the end, it was fantastic to have the curators actually part- participate in this and make suggestions on their own on how to enhance the augmented reality feature. So we're in a really great place right now. Um,
1: That's fantastic. So it sounds like you've got an experience that competes with sitting at home and uh, the iPad and the, and the high definition television, you're getting data and you have a way of engaging with not just the, the new generation, but segments of the older generation that, that need a, another way of, of getting to, to this art. This has just been an amazing, um, it's an amazing discussion. I'd love to spend more time. Uh, since, since we started talking, I've joined. Uh, because it's just a great... I, I really recommend uh, that other people do that. Uh, so tell us a little bit about some of the challenges with beacons and the logistics yeah. uh, associated with pudding. These radios uh, next to paintings.
0: Yeah, so one of the concerns there was with the beacons was how they would adhere to the walls and the adhesive stick. You know, if you think of it that way, it's very, we want to be very cautious that things aren't falling on visitors or onto paintings as well. So we had to make sure that the adhesive was proper. We had to make sure that the beacons themselves were sort of fit into the background, to blend it off into the background, so we had to paint a couple of the beacons because color options weren't that readily available. Um, we also had to make sure that we were setting up a proper grid so that um, we would have the right frequency in each gallery. Um, so there were some challenges we had to overcome at the beginning, but I think we're now at a really great place, and Guru's been working with those beacon beacon technology providers. I think you're
1: using like Estimote beacons.
0: Um, With 20 galleries, uh, you know, uh, it's a good question. I think we're at about 120 beacons or something like that, somewhere around there. So, yeah, there's a lot around the museum.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of beacons. And I I think the vendor is actually this Polish vendor called Estimote. Uh, That was was my understanding from talking to Paul. So, um, I mean, it's great that you've got a partner that can worry about that. And I'm impressed that you're actually very on top of what some of those challenges are in, in getting the technology to work. And uh, so you don't actually see beacons when you're walking around the...
0: Correct. The you, you could find them if you looked hard, yeah. but they blend into the background. And that's the beauty of them, that they work, they're very functional. The battery life now, I think, is four years on the newer, uh, the newer technology, on the newer beacons. Um, and that makes a huge difference for us because then we don't have to go in and constantly update them or change them out.
1: So is this the way uh, museums are going?
0: Uh, are other museums doing this? Uh, other museums are experimenting with this as well, yes. And is it the way that museums are going? I think in this day and age we constantly have to reinvent ourselves. I say that because back in 2010, 2011 there was this notion that QR codes were going to revolutionize the museum industry. and. I'd even question a lot of people to ask them, do you even know what a QR code is? Mm -hmm. So I think we just need to be on top of it and consistently reinvent ourselves so that we are providing the best visitor experience and also making art as accessible as possible.
1: Fantastic. I think you've done that. Dita. thanks very much for making it accessible to us. Thank you. Great talking to you today. What are the three songs that you would take on a mission to Mars?
0: Yeah, so it's an interesting question because I I was thinking a little bit about it and there's a funny backstory, kind of a parallel story to this. Um, After grad school, a few friends um, of mine, we always went, met up every month to go to the sauna and we went from 5:30 to 11 o'clock. Inevitably, we'd always eat at the end of the night. And there was one moment where we were talking about, what if we had to move permanently to Mars? What three foods would you bring along? And right out the gate, I said Cheerios, a bowl of Cheerios, and milk. And so they continue to make fun of me about that.
1: Okay. <laughs> you have to live with that for, the rest, that for the rest <laughs> of your life. For
0: my life, so I like it. So, um <laughs> so just kind of thinking about the the sure. songs. And and for me, what uh, what. Touches me most are those experiences that you have in life that you just take take with you and you Mm -hmm. reflect upon. Um, So the first song would be Sting's um, "If I Ever Lose My Faith in You." It was the high school graduation song. Where did you go to high school? In Vienna, Austria. Um, So it was a class. Just
1: add a little bit more atmosphere. That's pretty cool.
0: Right, right. So it was about 62 people in the class and. Uh It was really a tight-knit community, I'm still very close with a lot of those people and that song just means a lot to me. Uh, The second song is Journey's uh, Don't Stop Believing. That's also a a meaningful song to me on the family side where my son plays the piano. It was his real first song that he learned how to
1: play. Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah, my wife took me to the Rock of Ages musical in New York City for my 38th birthday and that was a memory and that song obviously plays... You know, features prominently in that, that musical. And then the third song is a song that takes me back to my heritage, to Austria, a band named STS, and they sing a song called Kohl's Vater, which is uh, grandfather, and it talks about memories of this individual's grandfather and how that influenced his life. So, it, a good mix of three different songs, a little rock. Uh, I, I definitely was Thinking, should I mix a little classical into there? Or I grew up with heavy metal, Poison, you know, Motley Crue. But those three th- three songs really so much
1: so much to choose from. And um, just tell me briefly where you grew up. So you grew up in Austria, but you've traveled a lot.
0: So my father was an international banker, and I grew up in Brazil, Chile, Austria, and the United States and then came to the United States for college, uh, was up in Boston, lived in New York City for about 15 years, and then came out to San Diego four years ago. So kind of all around.
1: And how did you get to become the Chief Operating Officer of San Diego Museum of Art?
0: I ask myself that same question every day. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, I'd, if you had asked me six, seven years ago where I'd be today, I wouldn't be able to answer that question. I think that's the beauty of life that We have certain goals that we set, and life just gets in the way of those goals. Uh, This opportunity came along at a time when I was looking to grow, and uh, I met Roxana Velasquez, the executive director here, and she had really big visions for the museum. And I got really excited about what the possibilities were to take a museum um, that had kind of fallen a bit into a bit of a sleepy environment, and, mm-hmm. and we wanted to take it to the next level and really have people connect with the arts, make art more accessible in the San Diego community, do some creative things on the technology side, but also with the art, how do we display it, how do we get people to engage with it. So it, it was sort of a good fortune, and I'm thankful that the museum and Roxana took a, took a risk on me.
1: Yeah, me too. Otherwise, we, we wouldn't have this amazing coming together of beautiful art and some pretty amazing technology. So I'm, I'm glad you made that choice. Thank you.